Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So ladies, you're going to be so excited about today's episode. We have Ashley Kerr from Buffalo, New York on our show today. She is a uh, great buy and hold investor. Uh, that's been her strategy. Um, and she has um, just have so much to share on this, on, on this episode. What I think I really appreciated most and also is a great reminder for us all is how do you really finance properties, you know, and, and, and the, the, the detail around that. So we talk a lot about the importance of having a personal financial statement. We talk about the importance of banks and some key things. Uh, and then she talks a lot about how she creatively financed a fourplex that she's about to embark on. So it's just a great episode, a really nitty gritty. Let's get into how to make this work. Yeah, you guys are also going to see here clear examples of the power of building relationship, really, like across the board. So Ashley, she has built relationships with both partners and lenders prior of finding the deals. And to be honest with you, ladies, this has propelled her to be successful in her business. Check it out how she has done all of that on this episode. Enjoy. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where we're on a big old mission to support women in investing in real estate, living a financially free life, and doing it all in a balanced and sane way. So we're all in this together because <laughs> a lot of days that we all don't feel that way. So um, Andressa, um, I want to connect with you and we'll chat a little bit before we get into our interview, but I want to welcome Ashley, Ashley to our show. She is from Buffalo, New York. So Ashley, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, we're really excited. Uh, Ashley, um, it's got really just a neat story. We're going to jump into all her kind of her growth and what, what she's up to right now uh, in a moment. But as we'd like to do, and uh, all our wonderful women who listen to us, um, thank you for listening and, and mm -hmm. uh, being here with us. So as we'd like to do, uh, Andressa, like you know, obviously you're on this show with me every week. <laughs> I'd like to, um, like to connect with all of you and kind of share something that we're learning a very quick tip, and then we jump into the interview. So yeah. I had I have this week, right, Andressa? Yeah. And uh, you can hear it in my voice. I'm a little raspy, which uh, you know my voice is always pretty deep. Uh, but what's but it's going just, on? I, was like, I know oh it's especially goodness. raspy. So <laughs> about ten years ago, and I do have a point to my story. About ten years ago, I kept losing. I've always lost my voice, right? So it, people um, develop a cold sore on their face or their back starts to hurt. Like there's something people, some physical ailment that, that sometimes is in their life, right? So for me, since a being a kid, I've always lost my voice. Um, and I do talk a lot, <laughs> minus that, I just normally will, will lose my voice as a kid. So things would come up and then I started getting into corporate training and consistently for a month when I was like in my early twenties, I just kept losing my voice. So I went to go see a specialist and he looked at my vocal cords and found a nodule on the vocal cord, which I know if you're a singer and those sort of things, people are, are familiar with that because you can develop one. So what, what ends up happening is the more you talk, you just lose your voice so easily. Wow. So he goes, you need to go on voice rest. So then for like two weeks, I couldn't talk, which was psychotic. Um, and I tried all these things and then I ended up having to have surgery. So long story short, fast forward 10 years, here, here we are. And I've been losing my voice quite a bit in the last month. Mm -hmm. So uh, I went to a conference and, um, and I'm really, I'm really feeling like, you know, when something happens, you put it behind you and then something else happens again and it's in front of you and you start to feel worried. I'm like, what if I have another nodule on my vocal cord? I, you know, I, I run a podcast, like I speak, I, I cannot mm -hmm. speak. So anyway, I've really get, been getting in my head a lot lately. And I just, this morning I was reading a book about being in the flow and I'm like, I'm not in the flow. There's, I don't know where the flow is right now. That's how I'm feeling. <laughs> And it really, it's all about as, as women, we're doing a lot and there's worries that come up and, and it's yes. a worry for me. Um, cause I really don't want to go down that path again, but I have an appointment and I'm just like, whatever is, whatever is happening, it's going to be fine. And I'm just feeling like, okay, how can I get back into the flow? So 
I share this with all of you because we all have stuff that comes up, right? We all have like these physical things or these mental things. And then like, I was waking up the other night worried about it and like what would happen and just, you know, you get really worried and, and worry just takes over and you feel paralyzed, whether it's money, whether it's health, whether it's your children. And I'm like, you know what? It's going to be fine. Okay. And I was just like kind of praying about it. So I just tell you all this because we all have that stuff comes up and um, we need to just put it in check and get a little yeah. more into the flow and release it and know that it's all going to work out. And I know it's easy to say that, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I need to remind myself that. Yeah. You'll be fine. I'm going to be behind you for you and to it's get not cancerous, this. right? Like, so it's all perspective, mm -hmm. right? So it, totally whatever, I don't know that, but I mean, I'm hoping it's not, of course. But. So if ever, it's very funny that you're mentioning like the, the worry part, right? I, I came across, I don't know how I came across this book called uh, the power of positive thinking. And I was like, okay, one more book talking about you being positive. And this is, I believe, from 1950s or something like that. Oh, yeah. Norman Vincent Peel. Peel. Yeah. Yes. And it was really like eye-opening to me because he was saying where, where there's faith, there's no worry. They yeah. cannot be on the same place mm. together. And point. this is a book that was talking about um, positive thinking, but I never heard the concepts that he was saying about prayer and faith in it, how you communicate with, with God, with the universe, or with whatever your beliefs are in a very powerful way of like really like spitting out how you want to see things. So I highly recommend, and you probably read this before, but I highly recommend about this because sometimes we worry, we just don't know how to get ready of the worry. And then, yeah. you know, so he, he mentions a couple of techniques there um, that involves prayers or just a clear communication with higher uh, power that really puts ourselves in ease mm -hmm. and... So I just want to share with you this like funny that. that you just mentioned. Yeah. yeah, no, that's great. That's really, that's the key. And that's kind of what I did, but, and it's, it's a, it's a continual thing. So yes, well, good stuff. So everyone will have to deal with my raspiness today. But, um, so <laughs> well, well, for, I know we'll my, I'll be thinking of you. <laughs> I yes. appreciate that. So, so Ashley, uh, so excited to have you on the show. Uh, I know we've had this uh, interview set for a long time. So, you know, we're looking forward to it. Share with the, the women listening a little bit about your background. And, and the question we always like to pose is, what really pulled you into real estate investing? There's a, there's a lot of things we can do to create financial independence. And, and there's a lot of investment vehicles. Why real estate? And, and you know, why was that for you? Yeah, sure. So when I was first out of college, I had an accounting degree and I started working for a CPA firm. And I hated it. I quit in the middle of tax season. Whoa. <laughs> I was just like, I want to have a baby. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And so my friend, her dad, he owns a couple dealerships and he was looking for someone just to help him organize stuff. And he had an apartment complex and he wanted to have someone manage it for him. So I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, it's just part-time and I started um, doing that and more and more properties got added to his portfolio. I started taking on more tasks and I just realized if he can do this, so can I. And I, I actually built a property management company for him. So now I've built one for myself that I manage my own properties with. But I think just having that experience where I could work, like my full-time job was you know, property management and learning about real estate investing. I've been able to get all of his financing for him. Um, so I bet, have built great relationships with banks. And so I really advocate if you want to get into real estate investing, like find a job that will help you learn and you're getting paid for it. So like, you know, a leasing agent. I love that one because you can do that on the side. You know, you can do Sundays, show apartments, um, or being a property manager, a maintenance tech, or even a realtor. But that, that's how I got my start, I guess, is just working in the industry. I love what you're saying that there are so many different ways to get started. And sometimes, you know, I hear on our Facebook community, um, 
the ladies sharing their challenges in terms of, well, I don't have, um, you know, a bunch of money sitting on my savings account that I can buy this property cash and get started in real estate rehabbing properties. I have no experience in syndication. That's too big, too scary to me. And, and that's so I'm like stuck. So I love what you're saying because there are so many different ways that you can start crawling before you, you really walk or run that I don't think we talked a lot about it in this business because people are always saying, oh, I am rehabbing X amount of properties. I am doing X, Y, and Z. So all the folks that are starting, men or women, it doesn't really matter, is really overwhelming. And I really like what you're saying because it really opened up other possibilities for people to get started while they're learning. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And like, even when I first started, I didn't have a pile of money ready to invest. I found a money partner and it was actually my boss's son. I said, look what your dad is doing. Like you can do that too. And I know how, (laughs) so give me your money. (laughs) But, um, it, you know, I just gradually started talking to him about it. And then when the deal came, he was ready. And, but if you find that money partner too, it's a great way to get started. You know, it's gotta be someone you trust, especially your first deal. But I love that. So, so you're working for this property management company, you're building this for your boss. What came first? Did you start thinking about, okay, how do I start getting money lined up? Or did you find this like amazing opportunity and you're like, okay, now I gotta get, I gotta get some, you know, what, 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 what did that path look like for you? So first it was, I wanted to buy a rental. You know, I looked at um, some single family in the area, but just real small houses thinking I could turn that into a rental. And I, I knew how to put a lease together. I knew how to manage a tenant. So that's when I started talking to my boss's son and I just gradually started planting the seed. Just like, you know, look, look at, here's your dad's numbers. You know, we're going to do this on a much smaller scale, but eventually we could get to this. So he was definitely interested. And then when I found the deal, I brought it to him. He came and looked at it with me and we put in an offer that day. But I thought it was really important to not just uh, push him and rush him like, oh my God, we have to pounce on this now. This is what I want to do. Do you have the money? It was like, before I was even ready for the deal, I started talking to him about it. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I think with, especially in the market we're in, it's really hard to find the deal first and then the money partner second. It just, mm-hmm. especially if you've never had a conversation with people, right. they're not going to like, why are you a hundred grand tomorrow? I'm sorry. That's just, yeah. unless you have a family member who has that money laying around. Um, and even at that, they would be like, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, but you do, you need to line that up and start having conversations. I always recommend to people start putting together sample deals. So if you're starting to look at duplexes, start putting together, okay, what would a duplex in the area looking in look like? What would you buy it for? What would the typical renovation for? It can't be this crazy, like, I have no idea what those numbers are. Like, it it shouldn't be that unknown because then you don't really know your numbers, quite honestly. And then you don't really even know if you don't know what you're going to rent for and you don't know what you're going to rehab it for in general without seeing it. And you don't know what the good buy price is, then you're not ready to buy anyway. You know, so, but if you do know all those things and you have a sample deal, that's what you can bring to it. Like, like you said, to your, to your, um, your boss's son, we used to do that all the time. We'd connect with someone say, Hey, these are the kind of deals we're buying. These are, this is a past deal. Or even if you don't have a past deal, this is a sample deal that goes a long way with, with private money partners. We're not, I'm not ready, but this is something that I'd be looking for. Would this be something you'd like to work with me on? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Now you have a verbal interest. That's a good thing. You got to get that, you know? So yeah, this, I had this one guy, he was actually a friend of my parents who wanted to invest in real estate, but didn't want to, he had the money, but didn't want to manage anything or deal with it. So we met for coffee one time and I actually just took a binder and I printed off my bigger pockets calculator reports yep. Yep. and for the properties that I already had. And then I included some deals that I knew about that I thought would be, you know, of interest to him. And we sat down and had coffee and went over you know, this whole binder. And I put some of my financial information in there too, to show right. like I have reserves, you know, my, I put my credit karma report in there. Like, you know, my credit is good. And 
everything like that, just to give him some kind of background on me. Um, we didn't end up doing a deal together, but I know that I always, I can always go back to him because he still is interested if I did need another partner. I love that idea. Like something I, I really, that's taking a track record because we always recommend have a track record document that's like a bio of you. Yeah. We always recommend that to people who are looking to raise money and something. And um, I love the idea of putting in your credit score. I love the idea of putting in your own kind of, in a general sense, your personal financial statement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're, you know, that's a great idea. It's a great recommendation for, for the women listening um, to put in there because they're not investing in the deal. They're investing in you. Right. I yeah. And that. I, I put into like um, what I bought, you know, purchase it for, but also what the current value was, you know, any kind of appreciation mm -hmm. or if I had a bank appraisal done on any of the properties, I included that in the binder too. I love that. I want to just highlight one thing that you said here, Liz, that I don't know if a lot of people know about the personal financial statement. So for all of you that are listening, the personal financial statement, uh, lenders will require that. But I also will recommend you to, you know, even though if they don't require, uh, you know, some of my lenders already have mine and they're not going to update for a little while. Uh, but for yourself, it's, it's a simple statement, like a, a really like a screenshot, a pulse of your finances, all your assets, all your liabilities, and what's your net worth. So I, I do it for myself because I want to know where things are. So I kind of do every like six months more or less, but it's really easy to find a sample out there that you can really put it together. And if you already have it together, some lenders have their own forms, but it's pretty much um, the same thing. You got to disclose um, stocks, insurance, everything, everything, liability or assets you disclose there. But I will also recommend uh, you guys to do it um, once or twice a year, just to see where you're at. When you're meeting with your CPA, you can also bring that up. Uh, to see what are the, the plans for next year and how can you, you know, the goal is always to increase the network, right? We're never working to decrease that, but how can you increase your assets and reduce your, your liabilities there? So I just want to point it out before we move forward. That's a great suggestion. And what, what I could do even is maybe put a sample in our show yes. notes, you know, for, for the women listening, because I think it even is helpful to create something and then to start to meet with bankers, say, hey, um, this is a, a personal financial statement I've, I'm putting together. Because if you start working with banks, they're going to want that. There's no mm -hmm. question. I mean, we, we have so many versions of it. I mean, which one you need? You need, I mean, I, I literally think I've, we have four different versions of our personal financial statement, depending on what a bank needs, when they need it, how they need it. Yeah. Because it is like, it's your go-to. It's kind of like a prerequisite working with banks. There's no way you can get around that. I love that idea. And I'll put a sample for the women listening because you got to start thinking that way. They're, they're, banks are going to assess you and your assets and your liabilities. I love that. Yeah. Um, so, so Ashley, circling back to your, your bread and butter duplexes. And I love that because everyone's always talking about, um, you know, and I've assessed some of our best deals have been duplexes. I've been, you know, two units. And, uh, you know, people can say, oh, you know, all these big apartment buildings, you know, we own, we own uh, big apartment buildings, we own small multis, but I got to tell you, small multis can be some of the best projects you can do. And, and sometimes your highest ROI. So let's go back to some of your, your favorite deals or like your earlier deals. What, what were the, what did the numbers look like? How did you put it together? Cause that's a big thing women want to know, like specifically, what did it look like? How'd you do it? And, and you know, how did you profit and, and move forward from there? Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to add one thing to the yeah. uh, personal financial yeah. statement. First though, was the app, um, personal capital. Um, I highly recommend it because you can link your bank accounts, you can link your mortgages and you can add in uh, the market value of your house. Mm. And that actually, you can pull up the app every day, look at how your stock investments have done, look at how your mortgages have changed. And it basically gives you every day what your net worth is and it graphs it and how it has changed. So uh, for your properties, like I go in every quarter and I'll update if I feel like, you know, the, they've appreciated or the value of them has changed at all, but it's just That's a nice suggestion. way to keep uh, track. Is that like mint.com? Yeah. It's okay. similar to mint. Yeah. I'll put that as a link as well. I think it's a great, 
That's a great recommendation. Yeah. And that is, that is speed or that's free how it works? Yeah, it's free. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It's great. So, yeah. And then for my getting started with my first deal, I used uh, a money partner. So we put together an LLC. We were 50-50 partners and he put up all the money to buy our first property. So we put together an operating agreement where I had full control of everything. He has no say. <laughs> and then for the money he put into the LLC, uh, he has a note payable back to him. So it's over 15 years at 5.5% interest. So he's getting that interest. He's getting his principal paid back to him and he's getting 50% equity into this house. You know, he has the ownership rights. So that's how we bought the first one. And then the second one we bought, we put financing on that first property, pulled our money back out and then put it on the next property we bought. So we just kind of kept doing that for a couple. And then um, we ended up, we bought three duplex, four duplexes that way. And then we actually got a package deal where I found uh, a guy off market his um, dad actually had a bunch of properties that he wanted to sell, get rid of, and no one in his family wanted them. So we had to get more creative with our financing and we actually did our first seller financing deal. So we did a, a down payment and then uh, we did a one year, year interest only loan at 7%. And this gave us time to fix up some of the units, um, get them rented, and then we went to a commercial bank and got a commercial mortgage on those properties. Wow. So I'm just curious you one, one quick question. Um, sure. and this is some, a question that, um, there's no right or wrong. And a lot of our, uh, members of the Facebook community ask all the time. So when, when you're using a lender, um, how should I pay the interest? Is it month to month? Is it quarterly or is it at the end of the project? You know, it's just the pan, it depends. I always say it depends yeah. <laughs> because there's not like a single formula to apply, but I'm just curious to know how did you structure uh, your deals and how often uh, the, the lenders are paid? Uh, we did monthly payments. Yep. And did you choose that for any specific reason or? Uh, just because it like our, the payment was so low that we could, and we wanted, the guy was used to having rent income for the seller financing. So instead of the rent income, he was getting our monthly check. I think it makes totally sense when you're doing seller finance, because then they are still receiving their, you know, and they're in their hand, like that drop every single month. Yeah. It's still there. And there's, there don't need to take care of all the toilets and tenants. Right. <laughs> right. So it's kind of like, Oh, it's still dropping yeah. and I don't need to deal with all the, the, you know, the, the, the hassle. So talk to me about the, the bird, right? So you bird all those different properties. Uh, how much did you pull out? Uh, was it 75% or, or different numbers or you varied? Um, well, for our first one, we, uh, only took out what we needed to buy the second property. And I think it was like 70% loan to value. But now what we do is we won't do any more than 75% loan to value. So we try to keep our leverage under that 75% for each property. Mm -hmm. And what are your general numbers look like? Like in terms of like your, you know, one of your favorite deals, what, what do you, what do you buy your duplexes for? Because it all varies, right? We, people, yeah. I was talking to someone in, in uh, California, they're like, yeah, I bought a duplex for 800 grand. I'm like, oh, <laughs> my. oh my, that's just like nutty to me, but it's all relative. So what, what are your numbers look like? What, like, what is that favorite deal that you, um, you bought and how you manage it and how you processed it? Okay. So all of my properties are uh, in Buffalo, New York, and most of them are in the South town. So the two farthest properties are probably 40 minutes from each other. So they're all within, uh, they're all within a 20 minute drive from my house. So, um, with, uh, the lowest price I've ever paid was 17,500 for a duplex. <gasps> most expensive was 143,000. So it, even just in this little market it has varied, but 
And what are they worth? What's like the, what is, what's the typical like uh, return that you can get from uh, a bank or like what's, what are they valued at? So like the ones I bought for, I bought a couple for 20,000 and they were in the, a package deal and most, or there's three of them and they've all appraised higher than what I paid for them without barely doing any work. Um, but they're all renting great. One of them I bought for, uh, actually it was the one that I bought for 17,000. I put 5,000 into it and it's renting for $1,200 a month right now. So wow. yeah, it's a, a great return. <laughs> you talk about the 1%. So they'll often say, you know, there's a 1% rule or 2% rule of, you know, how much property yeah. you can, you can, you know, kind of is worth, or you can buy it for versus the rent that you definitely exceeded that, you know, a yeah. number of times. That's, that's pretty neat. Um, okay. So that was your, okay. All right. So, we're moving to Buffalo. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> the property taxes are high though. It is very easy to hit the 1% rule here, but because of the, the property tax, property taxes. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that drives the, the value down. Got what, it. Uh. The, the value, um, the value add, the 143 duplex, did you have to put a lot of work into it? Or was that oh. one that you more, more bought like as a turnkey? Like you just put tenants in? Yeah, that was the nicest property that I bought. And it was, um, it's in a very high demand area. And probably that I bought it three years ago. And I bet it's already appreciated over 30 grand just from wow. the houses that have sold on that street and the neighboring streets. Mm. How, do, how do investors, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, how do women listening to this, like there's, there's, there's two paths, right? You can buy a property, you put in a put value into it, it needs work, right? Because then you can get a better deal on it, all those sort of things. But there is other considerations, right? Managing construction, pulling mm -hmm. permits, uh, just that whole process. It, it, it's not like one, two, three. Well, five grand, that might've been one, two, three, because it was yeah. sound like a small deal. But, but if you're going you know, to put like 20, 30 grand in a property in terms of renovation or like Andressa, you know, with the rehabs you've done a hundred grand, you know, that's a process. It's a whole business in and of itself mm -hmm. or the path of buying something that's not a deal or is like cheap, but it's already ready to go. And then you also still manage it. I'm not talking about turnkeys versus not turnkeys. I mean, there's so many different levels of property we can buy as investors. So for you, how do you assess what is, cause you're, you're savvy. You've been doing this. You have a number of properties under your belt. Property comes up to you. How do you assess? Is this a time that I buy something that doesn't need as much work? I'm not going to get as cheaply as other things. Or is this a time that I just buy the cheaper property? I put my own value into it and then I'm able to, how do you navigate that? Cause I don't, I don't think that is something that, uh, and this could be existing investors who have a, a, a properties under their belt. How do you quickly evaluate that? So most of my properties have just needed cosmetic updates. I've never done a huge rehab and it's stuff my, the maintenance company I use can handle. So, you know, flooring, paint, new kitchen cabinets, you know, new toilets, stuff like that. But I just actually just closed on a, a quadplex and it's going to be my first like big rehab. And the reason I decided I was ready to take this on because I've been like eyeing this property for years yeah. was because I'm currently using a commercial line of credit to purchase my properties and my line of credit, you know, had zero balance. And so I have a lot of wiggle room to put in the money for the rehab. So I purchased the property for $20,000. So my line of credit is 108,000. So I feel comfortable right now that I have enough money that even if I went over budget, I, you know, I'd be prepared for it. So to kind of prepare myself for this rehab, some things that I do is I basically I go on Lowe's.com or I go to Lowe's. I take pictures of everything that I want in the, these units. And then I sit down and I do an Excel spreadsheet where I'm putting in everything that I'm going to buy for Lowe's. And I at least do my materials budget. And then I talk to my, I get an estimate from my plumber, um, the electrician I'm actually meeting tomorrow night. And then um, my, the, my maintenance people do all my flooring. We do a vinyl plank flooring and I just, I already know what the, the cost will be based on the square footage. So. I love that. I, and I want to just reiterate what you just said about having more money than you need. 
mm-hmm. especially going into a project that, you know, what, what's the budget probably going to be somewhere? Why is that? Why is that? You know, what do you think? Like 75,000? It will be about 50,000. Okay. 50,000. Yeah. Well, Liz, why, why is that? Why are you saying that we should have more money? <laughs> well, you know, the- you're saying to me that doesn't go smooth. Well, I'll give you, that an what you're saying? I'll give you a very, very <laughs> quick example. We bought a property, a 4,000 square property in Trenton. Um, Andressa, you were involved in this project. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, three apartments, commercial space in the bottom. Uh, we got it for, I want to say like 30, 40 grand. Um, good price. Uh, five years ago. Okay. Probably four years, four years ago. And we, we had the money to renovate it the first stage. And then, you know, for a lot of reasons, our con- just contractors, this and that, ourselves, everything mixed together, it took longer than it needed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just refinanced that property this week. No, last week, excuse me. And um, our private le- it was a private lender um, that loaned us the money. Initially, we ended up having to put a ton of our own cash into it to get it complete because they agreed to X dollars, but it goes over X dollars, where are you going to go? You know, banks aren't going to give you money. You have to go into your own pocket or, or your own reserves. So we did that. Um, and, and the person's made whole. That's great. They're getting their interest. Um, and I will tell you, there was a gap between what they're owed and what we were able to pay them at from the refinance. Mm-hmm. Um, so we will make that up. We have a promissory note to them and we will make that up uh, in our next project. And they'll get a, an additional share of, of our, our, one of our, our buildings. And that's all good. You know, they're continuing to invest with us. They're, they're, they're a valued investor of ours. But I tell you that because number one, it completely sucks, right? To have to owe a lender after closing. Yeah. Had we done what Ashley just said, it would have been a much better strategy because you're setting yourself up with more money than you need. I tell you this because if you have a lender lined up, time is ticking. Yes. The more time it goes, the more you owe that person. Mm-hmm. And the money that we owe this lender is not his principal. It's the interest because it took four years. I mean, think about it. Four years. On, he's happy. I mean, he's really happy, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? you know, let's be honest. I mean, Nobody's he's like, happy on this dream. Well, he's very, I mean, he's very happy. We're, and, and, and we're happy from the perspective that we've, you know, everything, it's complete. Yeah. We're moved on, learn lesson. But I will tell you that when you have a very big renovation project, you know, not a cosmetic project. Mm. Time is your enemy, can be your enemy. And if you don't have all the money figured out, contingencies, and it's not going to cost you a ton to get more money, um, to, then don't do the project. Be, be very mindful of that. I just want to reiterate that because we just kind of literally just finished the circle ourselves. And I love what you're saying about having that commercial line mm-hmm. ready to go mm-hmm. and that, you know, you're, you're not going to like charge yourself an interest rate of, <laughs> for that. So great, great, great um, example, you know, so. I want to pick back on that because um, we mentioned line of credit, but it's kind of like a foreigner um, theme or subject to talk about. Um, tell me about the line of credit itself. How did you get it? How... What are the terms and what is involved? Because okay. I don't think people idealize this, uh, this way of, of financing. People are using their personal credit cards. They are, uh, you know, their savings yeah. account. They're and how'd you set it up? Yes. So I'm just curious to know how did you set them, uh, the line of credit? Because then you can leverage a lot. Yeah. So actually, it started with my job. For one of the apartment complexes, we uh, did a refinance on the apartment and the bank, what they offered us was a commercial mortgage line of credit. So we were putting the mortgage on, but at any time we didn't, we could pull the money off, pay it off and then pull back out again. So it was, um, it basically acted like a line of credit that you would have on your, your house where you're only paying interest only but this way, um, the way they structured it was uh, a mortgage. So they actually had like a, a mortgage lien mm. against the property. And then um, we could roll it into a term, you know, if we wanted to. So I, my husband and I used to live in um, an old farmhouse that was his grandma's before we built our house. 
and we uh, went to the bank and we had bought it from his parents and we asked the same bank, you know, what can we do with this? We really don't want to put a mortgage on it. And that's, we talked about the commercial mortgage line of credit though, where, so now I just continuously pull off of it. Um, all I do is, you know, I go into the branch and say, Hey, can you take 20,000 off my line of credit, put it into my bank account. And then it's, it's done like that. They don't require, you know, proof of what I'm using the funds for or anything like that. And what type of interest you're paying on that? Um, it's variable interest and I don't know offhand. I know, um, it's at 6.25% right now. So, okay. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. mm. To be able to have a line of credit around 6% that you can use when you want to use it for what you want to use it for is, mm-hmm. is pretty great. You know, so yeah. that's, how did you set yourself up with that bank? I mean, I'm curious, like, was this a, a community bank? Was this a local bank? What was the, what was the profile of the bank? Cause we all know all banks are not created equal. Um, and, and that could be a struggle for a lot of women as we're financing, I mean, for everybody, but especially as you're financing and looking to refinance or buy property. What, what was that profile of that bank? What, what did they, what did they value? You know, why them? So this bank only has seven branches. It's a very small Mm -hmm. bank. Um, and I built a relationship because I worked with the loan officer when I was doing work for my boss. So that's how he got to know me. And the, actually the second property we bought, we did the, the mortgage through him on that second duplex we ever bought. So once we got the commercial line of credit, like the only requirements was that I have a bank account there and that um, any payments were automatically withdrawn out of that bank account. But they, it's just, they've been really flexible. Their interest rates on like fixed mortgages are a little bit higher, but they also have offered us a mortgage on, um, so like a 20 year term mortgage fixed rate with an LLC, which I haven't found that anywhere yet around here. That's the first one. Everyone wants it in your personal name if they're going to do the fixed term and on the residential side and not commercial. Mm -hmm. So we have done that on one property and it's worked out really nice. That's wonderful. Very cool. Yeah. Because the banks are not all created equal. You have to kind of, and they're all their goals change. We had a bank Mm -hmm. we were working with and now all of a sudden they don't want to lend on small multis because their, their goals have changed. Yeah. So it, it's, it's continuous like conversation with bankers. I mean, something I'll always ask if I meet a banker, um, cause they always want your business, regardless of what you have going on. You want to ask them what, what kind of projects are you lending on right now? You know, what, what is, what is your, what is your bank's interest in, in real estate these days? And then see what they say. Uh, cause they'll tell you if they get some great products to offer or they'll be like, now nah, we're actually really into X, Y, or Z, you know, they'll tell you. Yeah. So I also want to add, though, that there is a big difference between the commercial side of the bank and the residential side of the bank. It's kind of like right hand doesn't talk to left hand. Yeah. They have no clue what I'm talking about. And let me make it clear. When I'm talking about the commercial side of the bank, I am not saying commercial properties because I do have single properties that I have... um, under LLCs and it's under a commercial, uh, uh, from the commercial side of the bank. So when you're going to the bank, just make sure you're talking to the right person. Otherwise they're going to look at you like, you're crazy. We don't do that. Or, (laughs) you know, some weird thing happening. But one thing, Ashley, that I am like just observing all your, your, how you do business and everything it really comes down to relationships that you, you know, so smart being, do, you already started relationships prior off things happening, like with, with the guy, the, the, the son of the, the boss that you work with, with the banker, you build a very solid foundation. And I heard this another day um, from somebody's mouth that they said, oh, what matters is what, how much money each partner is bringing to the table. And I was like, I, I actually disagree with that. Mm-hmm. It may be in the past, but nowadays I do think is the relationship. I truly do. Because if you haven't done 
or build the relationship, you'll be like scrambling around and trying to find the lender or the right people to do business with you. How do, how do you see in terms of, of like besides the relationship, right? What other things that you did that you consider that really helped you to build your business? Well, just the experience of how to manage real estate and manage tenants really helped me. And I was forced to learn a lot on my own. I, when I, the first, my first day of work was a tiny office, no windows inside of the apartment complex. And there was cardboard boxes on the ground with the tenant files in it. Mm. And there was literally a check, a handwritten checklist. With, there was 40 apartments, each person's name. And then the month at top, oh my gosh. a check mark if they paid rent that month. <laughs> so this was six years ago. Whoa. So since then, I actually have a property management software now. Everything is fully integrated. You know, tenants pay online. They submit their maintenance requests online. And, you know, I can manage a lot of it remotely. But just doing your your research to figure out what tools are already out there and recreated. So you don't have to recreate the wheel. Like I was, you know, this person that was using check marks and, you know, keeping all these tenant files, like you just do a basic Google search. You can find, you know, way easier systems to put in place to, to manage an apartment complex. So that's oh great. My gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagine you in this little <laughs> tiny room. <laughs> yeah. I basically lived in there for the first two years, just getting everything said. And yeah. And you, you know, it's not like 1950s or something. And yeah. I think that comes down to also the reality of things, right? Yeah. Sometimes looking at, you know, people might look at you and say, oh my gosh, you're so lucky you have all those properties and you're doing so great with your property management. But I think that, you know, behind the curtains, everything that we do and how things really, you know, when it comes down to executing it and really mm -hmm. building it doesn't look pretty. Doesn't smell pretty. You yeah. know, you don't have that office with like ocean view or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think another important thing too, is really getting into the, the nitty gritty of the business somehow. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was my office was right in that apartment complex where I had face-to-face -face interaction all the time with tenants. And mm -hmm. some nights I would just like ball my eyes out to my husband. Like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> They hate everything. No one's happy. And, but I was just right there. So instead of, you know, calling or anything like that, they just come knock on the door and just stand there for, you know, 20 minutes complaining to me about their neighbor, or what issue is going on. And I really have learned how to deal with that a lot better just because it stressed me out so much when I first started that I, I couldn't even handle it. And I like wanted to quit so many times. It was just, it was, really took a toll on me, but now I've gotten so much better just uh, interacting and dealing with residents. And I've really drawn a fine line between, you know, being compassionate and understanding, but like mm -hmm. following the lease and being firm with that. Yeah. And that, I, and that took me a long time to learn, but I learned that because I was there every day interacting with them and, you know, figuring out for myself what really worked best. That's great. Yeah. And because it's so much, it's so much a hands-on business, you yeah. know, so you talk to people who own all these properties and, and then you ask them questions about, you know, have they met any tenants ever? And they're like, no, I'm, I'm so proud that I've never met any of my tenants ever in my life. I'm like, wow, <laughs> like that's nuts, you know? And then there's all different types of people. But to me, I'm like, how can you really learn how to better manage property if you've never actually interacted with a tenant? That seems to me in my, in my head seems like a tough connection. But again, there's all different types of investors who wants to be more passive, who wants to be more active. Um, Ashley, so much of our show and so much of the community we're building is about creating a balance because as women, we wear a lot of hats. We, we have a lot of people who need us on a, on a moment to moment basis. Uh, men are needed, of course, but women are needed in a different way, especially when it comes to the home and family and kids and what's like pulling it all together, you know? So you live on a dairy farm, your dairy farm with your husband, mm -hmm. with your, with mm -hmm. your three boys yep. under the age of five. And so, one just turned six. So. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so, but yeah, my son's about to turn six. They're, they're the same little crazy little banshees. Yeah. So I'd love to hear from you about 
how you've been able to manage all that. Cause that's, you know, a whole different level of talking about managing the house. I mean, you live in your business, so to speak. Um, and it's 200 acres, you told me earlier. So I'm like, that's fascinating. Oh. So to walk us through a little bit about how you kind of, you know, navigate that. Okay. So I'm pretty lucky that my husband basically works at home. So in the morning he gets up early, he goes out, milks the cows. And then when I'm ready to leave for my day or start working at home, he'll come and he'll grab the kids and they, you know, do stuff on the farm. And, um, my in-laws live right next to us too. They live on the farm. So it is wonderful. The kids will go there for lunch and they get to spend a lot of time with them. So that like right there is a huge blessing and it allows me to have a very flexible schedule just with my husband being their primary caretaker. And a lot of people don't have that, you know, flexibility. And then with my full-time job, it's, uh, it's very flexible. I make my own hours and I work, you know, whenever I can or whenever I want. So that also helps a lot. But I, I try to involve my kids as much as I can in the real estate business, whether it's for me personally or for my job. Um, I can't even tell you how many showings they've gone to, you know, with me or um, I don't really clean apartments anymore myself, but I used to, I, when I started managing the apartments, I would just clean them myself just to get it done instead of having to schedule it and they'll come with me and um, they've done a lot of Swiffering <laughs> and dusting. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then uh, we recently started an Airbnb in an apartment and they helped set that whole place up. So I try to involve them as, as much as I can. That's, oh, that's awesome. Great. It's so funny that you're saying about the cleaning part. Um, I, I shared with this before. So I, I also have Airbnbs and um, sometimes things happen and you have back-to-back um, uh, gas coming out and coming in and your cleaning lady had an issue or, or they couldn't come for some, some reason and you just need to get it done. So, uh, cleaning the units really allowed me to really create also like, this is how I want things to be done. Mm -hmm. And here's like a manual of like checklist for Airbnb. So we're on the same page regarding what type of cleaning I want to get done and everything else. I don't want to clean the Airbnb, <laughs> but I, I agree with you. It really like, same thing with the tenants, living closer to the tenants also allow you to really have a really like a different perspective of mm -hmm. an appreciation also for the people that work for you. So I, I've cleaned toilets too. <laughs> <laughs> we all have, we all have. Yeah. It, it, it toughens you up. Um, Ashley, love your story. I love what you're up to. Um, so much good insight into, especially the nitty gritty like, you know, the financing, the stuff that we just don't all don't talk about, which is really, really important. Uh, where can the women listening learn more about you? Uh, you are going to be a new investor meetup leader, which we're super, yes. super excited about in Buffalo. So um, you can certainly mention that, but more importantly, your business and how can ladies connect with you and all the great things you're up to. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's the easiest part. It's at wealth from rentals. Um, so I try and post on there every day about what I'm doing with my real estate business. And then, yes, I am starting uh, Investor Meetup in Buffalo, and I can't wait. I'm hoping to get it rolling uh, by December, so I'll post on my Instagram, too, when that is. And you can also uh, email me at ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, at wnydevelopment.com. Awesome. And all of that information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three question. And the first one is, what's the most transformational book you have ever read? So I picked uh, The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. Just, it's just, you read it and your mind is just blown. Like, yes, uh, you know, building wealth can be that simple and you can do it on your own. You don't need, uh, you know, a fancy advisor or anything like that. But I, I recommend that book to everyone and I love it. And it, it's not really real estate specific, but I think a lot of people get into real estate because they want to build wealth. And this book just really touches on some key, you know, foundations of how to start building wealth. 
Yeah, I agree with you. There's so many books that have nothing to do with real estate and all to do with real estate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Simple path to say that again. The simple path to wealth. To wealth. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. The second question is what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life? So for that one, um, my first thing is I have a cleaning lady. And I will spend the money to have a cleaning lady and then I will use that time to focus more on, you know, my business. And to me, I feel like I can pay someone to clean my house and I can make more money spending those, you know, two hours working on my business than if, because it would probably take me four hours to clean my house than hiring a professional. But to me, that is something that is so worth it. And, you know, it, it, it takes money out of my pocket, but I also feel like I'm, I'm building, you know, more money into my pocket by having those hours to work or, you know, more time with my kids. And I, for my husband and I, I think it relieves a lot of stress, you know, between us not having to, Oh, who's, you know, cleaning, you know, the kitchen today or, you know, Mm -hmm. anything like that. So. Awesome. And the last question is which women famous or not has inspired you the most? I picked uh, Mel Robbins. Mm. So I saw her speak uh, last year at an Appfolio property management conference. Oh. She was just on fire. I mean, she just, I mean, people were laughing, crying. She's it, awesome. Yeah. And it just I really resonated with me. Just like her, you could feel her power, you know, coming off the stage and projecting onto you and just how passionate she was. And I love her five second rule and just, you know, it, you know, thinking about even how we were talking before about worrying about something, you know, you can even use that to just, you know, reset your mind and, and even just to get stuff done. I love that. (laughs) She's just awesome. I didn't get a chance to uh, see her in person yet, but she's on my bucket list. Oh, it's just so cool. That's awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing all your, you know, just great, great ideas and just your path and opening up to, to all the women listening. So thank you for your time. And we're excited to uh, continue on with you and part, part of our team. So just excited. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. And I'm really looking forward to being an organizer for the group. So awesome. Looking forward to being with you. All right. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, Go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.